First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Good morning, church family. Thank you for worshiping with us today. I'm excited about this new teaching series that kicks off today called Blueprint. Um, you know, before our Easter uh, series, we uh, concluded a study of First and Second Samuel, two books from the Old Testament. And today we're swinging over to the New Testament to start uh, our study of the exciting book of Acts. And Acts is an exciting book because it's the story of how the church first got started. Uh, when you think about it, Acts is actually the first church history book uh, that was ever written. It covers the first 30 years or so of the church's history, from right about A.D. 30 to A.D. 60. And during those 30 years of the history of the church, the church that Jesus started grew from 12 disciples and a handful of others to include thousands and thousands of people and to reach all over the known world. And 2,000 years later, now there are 2 billion people around the world who claim to follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, this story of the book of Acts should be exciting to us because if you are a Christian, then this is your story. You know, a couple of years ago, one of my uh, sons uh, was studying uh, history at school and uh, the whole year they were pretty much studying the Middle Ages. And I think partway through that year, uh, my son was ready to, to tap out on that. It was a little bit uh, too much of the Dark Ages, a little bit too uh, dreary. Uh, but this year, one of my sons is studying about American history, learning about the 13 colonies. And it's, it's interesting to him. And I think it's interesting because we are Americans. This isn't somebody else's history. This is our history. And when we look at the book of Acts, it's the same thing. This isn't someone else's story. This is our story. If you know Christ and you are a part of his church today, and this is the beginning of your story, the beginning of the church. I know today we're looking at the beginning of the book of Acts, but one of the things I love about the book of Acts is the way that the book ends. Uh, the book of Acts ends with a very abrupt ending. It almost feels like it's uh, not complete, like the story uh, isn't finished yet. And I love that because the story of the church isn't finished yet. Uh, the story of the church is still being written, and you and I, by God's grace, are helping to write it. You know, if you think about it right now, uh, we're actually writing a pretty strange chapter in uh, the history of the church. This coronavirus chapter where right now churches all over the world uh, have not been able to meet for some time. There, there hasn't been many times like this in the 2,000 year history of the church. But what a perfect time it is when, when our God has, has hit a, a kind of giant pause button on everything that we were doing as a church, what, what a perfect time to go back to his word, to go back to the book of Acts and to look at the blueprint that Jesus has given us for what he always intended his church to be. And what we're going to see today is even though we cannot meet together right now, we are still the church and the Lord has given us a mission that he wants us to carry out even right now. now let's read the beginning of this wonderful book of Acts starting in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Let's read it together. It says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, 
of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we thank you so much for your word and for this portion of your word that is in front of us today. We pray, Father, that you would be our teacher today. Father, that you would speak to every one of our hearts. Father, you know what's going on in our lives and in our families. You know what's going on in our world. And Father, we need to hear from you. We pray that you would give us ears to hear even now. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Well, if you look at verse 1 again with me, there's some important details there that we need to notice. Uh, Again, it says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. A couple questions arise from that first verse. One is who this I is, who has made this account, who wrote the book of Acts. And the second is who is this individual Theophilus that this book has been written to? Uh, Well, there is almost universal consensus that the author of this book uh, was a man named Luke. Now, Luke is mentioned three times in the New Testament in the letters of Paul. He was a traveling companion of Paul who went with him on his missionary journeys, and he was also a doctor. That's why sometimes uh, people refer to this man as Dr. Luke. You know, it's probably a good thing that Paul had a doctor along with him on his missionary journeys, because you might recall that Paul took quite a few beatings on those missionary journeys, and it's probably handy to have a doctor there with him. Well, in verse 1, Luke refers to this former account that he wrote, this earlier book uh, that he wrote before the book of Acts, and we actually also have that book in our Bibles. It's known as the Gospel of Luke. It's one of the four accounts of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so even though in our Bibles, the book of John is kind of sandwiched between Luke and Acts, uh, Luke and Acts really belong together. They are a two-volume set. Uh, Luke tells the story of Jesus's life, and the book of Acts tells the story of Jesus's church. 
Now, at the beginning of Luke and at the beginning of Acts, Luke mentions this man, Theophilus, that he is writing these two books for. Uh, We don't know anything more about Theophilus than what Luke writes about him here. Uh, Luke does refer to him in the book of Luke as the most excellent Theophilus, so it's possible that he was a Roman official of some kind. Uh, We know that he had already received some Christian teaching, but we don't know whether he was perhaps a new believer that Luke wanted to disciple, or perhaps he was someone that was on the verge of making a commitment to Christ, and Luke was writing and appealing to him. But Luke wanted this man, whoever he was, to have an orderly account, both of Jesus's life and also of the history of the early church. Of course, because God is the ultimate author of all the Word of God, we know that God wanted us to have as well this orderly account that Luke wrote of the history of the early church. Now, the part of verse 1 that I really just want us to camp out on for a few moments is there at the end of that verse. Look again, it says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. You know, that's interesting because, again, he's referring to the Gospel of Luke. And the Gospel of Luke tells really the whole story of Jesus's ministry from the beginning to the end. The Gospel of Luke starts with the birth of Christ in Bethlehem. And it goes all the way to Jesus's ascension to the Father. And so it's interesting that Luke would say here that the Gospel of Luke only tells what Jesus began to do and to teach. The implication of that is that what we find in this book called Acts is what Jesus continued to do and to teach. And maybe you wonder, well, how could that be? Because Jesus has ascended now into heaven. And yet what we find in God's word is that even though Jesus has physically ascended into heaven, he continues to work even today on the earth through his spirit and through his people, the church. Uh, today, I want us to take in two very simple, but, but I believe very exciting truths from these opening verses in the book of Acts. And the first truth is what we've just been talking about, that Jesus's ministry continues today through us. Jesus has not stopped doing and teaching. He's still doing and teaching. He's just doing and teaching through his church. And, and it's amazing and, and really kind of crazy to think about that, uh, that we have been entrusted as God's people to carry on the ministry of Jesus on the earth. Now, certainly Jesus accomplished everything that was required for our salvation. Uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at that word to that Jesus said from the cross just before he died, a word that means it is finished. Jesus paid in full for our sins. There's nothing more that we need to do, nothing more that we can add to that. Uh, But our ministry, as we will see in a moment, the work that Jesus has given us to do is simply the work of announcing what Jesus has already done, Uh, announcing what he accomplished through his death and through his resurrection, sharing that message with the world that we can be saved through faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, The title of the message today, What Jesus is Doing Now. 
Well, there's really several ways that we could answer that. We know that Jesus is ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father. We know that even now he is holding all things and creation together. We find in Hebrews that he is even interceding for us, that he is praying for us even now. And so Jesus is doing a lot of things right now. But part of the answer to that question, what Jesus is doing now is this. What Jesus is doing now is what his church is doing. Let me say that again. What Jesus is doing now is what his church is doing. Now, we can't take that statement too far, obviously, since the church is not perfect and we are all uh, sinners. Uh, then there are certainly sinful things that we, his church, are doing that Jesus is not uh, doing. So I want to be clear about that. Jesus uh, is not doing everything that we're doing, nor does he necessarily approve of everything that the church has done or is doing in his name. But what I mean by that statement is what Acts 1 is teaching us, that by God's design, when Jesus ascended into heaven at the end of what we call his earthly ministry, that Jesus is continuing his ministry on earth right now through the work of his church. And so that does raise a question we need to think about. And, and the question is, how are we doing? How am I doing? How are you doing in continuing the ministry of Jesus that he has given to us? We'll come back to that question a little bit later. Well, verse 3 tells us that there was a 40-day period between the weekend when Jesus died and rose again and 40 days later when he ascended into heaven. And look again at verse 3 as it says what happened during those 40 days. It says, To whom he, Jesus, also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So he wasn't with the disciples continually during those 40 days, but at different intervals during those 40 days, he appeared to them. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us about several of those appearances of the Lord. One of those appearances was to more than 500 people at the same time. Uh, he appeared to his 12 disciples on multiple occasions during those 40 days. And here those appearances are called infallible proofs. In other words, Luke was convinced based on the eyewitness testimony that he had heard uh, that the Lord Jesus had in fact risen from the dead. You know, this is just another example of what we talked about a few weeks ago, that our faith in the Lord is not just a pie in the sky or, or a just, well, I just believe kind of faith. No, according to the word of God, our faith is based on reliable evidence. Uh, one of the strongest pieces of evidence is for the resurrection of Jesus, I think, is the transformation of his disciples. Now, what was it that took this group of men from, from this fearful, uh, cowering group that was hiding out in a room on that first Easter Sunday night, afraid that they might be the next ones to die? What is it that took them from, from that place to what we see them doing in the book of Acts, where they are standing up and boldly proclaiming that Jesus Christ had risen from the grave, and they were willing to boldly proclaim that uh, for most of them, all the way till their death as martyrs. Uh, you know, when I look at that evidence, I really come to the conclusion 
that the most plausible explanation is that what they said happened is actually what happened, that they had an encounter with the risen Lord that transformed them and that gave them the boldness to go and proclaim him to those to whom they were sent. In verses four and five, Jesus tells his disciples to wait there in the city of Jerusalem for this promise, this gift of the Holy Spirit that he was going to give to them. As it turns out, they wouldn't have to wait very long. Just 10 days later, 10 days after Jesus's ascension, the gift of the Holy Spirit would be given on that day that we call the day of Pentecost. And we're gonna study that in just a couple of weeks when we come to Acts chapter two. But, but in verse six, before Jesus ascends to the Father, the disciples have a question that, that they are just itching to ask him. Now look at that question with me in verse six. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Clearly they were still expecting that the Lord would drive out the Romans, that the Lord would establish his people and the kingdom on the earth and that he as the Messiah would rule and reign right then over this kingdom. You know, some people have criticized the disciple for asking that question, but in reality, where they got that idea from, the idea of an earthly kingdom, the idea of the Messiah ruling and reigning over that kingdom, where they got that idea was from the Old Testament. And notice in verse seven, when Jesus responds to them, he doesn't criticize them. He doesn't say, you know, what a dumb question that is, because actually the disciples were right. The day will come when the Lord will rule and reign over a kingdom on the earth. But what the disciples didn't know is that there would be an interval of time between Jesus's first coming and his second coming. We're, we're living in that interval right now. It's been going for 2000 years and counting, but they couldn't possibly have known that. And in verse seven, Jesus basically drives that point home to them that they weren't supposed to know that. Look again at what Jesus says in verse seven. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the father has put in his own authority. Jesus was saying to them, you wanna know when I'm going to come and rule and reign over an earthly kingdom? Well, Jesus basically said to them, that's none of your business. You're not supposed to know. Uh, and if his 12 disciples weren't supposed to know, then church, we aren't supposed to know either. Uh, that means we don't need to be sitting around trying to figure out or predict the exact day that the Lord is going to return. Uh, we shouldn't be writing books like a book uh, that was written many years ago, 88 Reasons Why the Lord is Going to Return in 1988. Uh, nor should we be reading books like that. Uh, we don't need 88 reasons to know because we already have one reason why we shouldn't know. And that's the fact that the Lord told us that it's not for us to know. But what the Lord did tell us is that we need to be ready whenever he does return. You know, I think about what the Lord said back in Mark chapter 13. Look at these words with me. Jesus said, take heed, watch and pray for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. 
And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. In other words, Jesus said, you're not going to know when I'm coming back, but you need to make sure that you're not asleep when I come. You need to make sure that you're ready. You know, being ready starts with making sure that we have a relationship with the Lord, that we've trusted Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. That's the only way we can be ready for his return. Uh, but even for us as Christians, we, we want to be ready. I, I don't know about you, but, but if the Lord were to return in my lifetime, uh, I don't want him to come back and to find me asleep. I want him to come back and to find me doing the work that he has given me to do for the kingdom. Essentially, that's what Jesus was saying to his 12 disciples here in Acts 1. Basically, in verse 7, he said that knowing the times and the seasons was none of their business. But then in verse 8, he said, this is your business. What is their business? Look at that with me. Verse 8, he said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We've already seen that Jesus's ministry continues today through us. Here's the second simple truth that we need to see today. Our ministry is to tell everyone about Jesus. So really it's pretty simple, isn't it? Jesus's ministry is continuing through us and our ministry is to tell everyone about him. Uh, you know, if you had to pick just one verse, that would be the theme verse for the entire book of Acts, it would be this verse that we've just read. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, many people have pointed out uh, that this verse basically forms an outline for the book of Acts, as we will see. It's so important as th that we dig into this verse and discover its meaning. I want us to see together three aspects of uh, this verse, three aspects of this ministry calling that God gives to us in verse 8. The first aspect to notice is the ministry itself. The basic ministry that he has given to us is right there in the middle of that verse where Jesus said, you shall be witnesses to me. Now that's our basic job, to be his witness, to, to tell the world about Jesus, the only one, the only name by which we can be saved. Now, we do need to remember that Jesus first spoke these words to his 12 disciples, or really his 11 disciples, because by that time Judas was already gone. And we need to acknowledge that uh, these disciples were able to give a witness to Jesus in a way that we are not able to. Now, they were eyewitnesses of Jesus's life and of his suffering and of his resurrection. That's why the apostles played such an important role in the foundation of the church. They established the, the historicity of who Jesus was and what Jesus did. And they did that in a way that we cannot. They were eyewitnesses, but we are all called to be witnesses of the things that we have seen and heard. Now, we haven't seen Jesus with our physical eyes but as followers of Christ, we have seen him with the eyes of faith. And we have met him in a personal way. We've experienced his love and his grace. We've experienced the way that he transforms our life, the forgiveness of sin, the way that he fills us with purpose and joy. And we can be a witness about that. We can share about that. And not only can we share about that, uh, but Christian, we are all called to share about that. 
Jesus doesn't have any fans that just sit up in the bleachers. Jesus wants to have followers who get down on the field and get into the game. He's called all of us to share, to be his witnesses. And think about what an honor, what a privilege that really is. Now, this is a far greater honor, an infinitely greater honor than being uh, the United States ambassador to England or to Russia or some other nation. We get to be an ambassador of Christ. And we get to represent him and to share about him with the world. And, And I love what one person said, that the message that we share is such a simple uh, message. that There are no clubs to join. Uh, there is no system, no ladder to climb. There, there, there is no checklist to mark off. That There's just a person to receive by faith. That, that's the message. That's the ministry that Jesus has given us, to be witnesses to him. There's a second aspect of this calling uh, I want us to see there in verse 8, and that's the scope of our ministry. Uh, Again, in verse 8, we find uh, these words from the Lord Jesus. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be witnesses to me. Notice, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I mentioned a moment ago that uh, the outline of the book of Acts is right here in verse 8. Because what Jesus is saying there is actually what the gospel does. This is where the gospel goes. Uh, In Acts chapter 1 through 7, the gospel uh, is taking root there in the city of Jerusalem, and many people are coming to faith in Christ. When we move to Acts chapter 8 through 12, the gospel begins to make its way further out into Judea, into Samaria. And then starting in Acts 13 and all the way to the end of the book of Acts, the gospel is going with Paul and others all the way to the end of the earth. And so in one sense, verse 8 has already been accomplished. We see it happening in the book of Acts. Of course, in another sense, we know that this mission continues because right now today, there are more than 2 billion people living in the world who have never even heard the name of Jesus. Uh, Right now, there are thousands of people who live just within a few miles of us who maybe have have heard Jesus' name, but haven't trusted him as their savior and as their king. People today without Christ are every bit as lost as the people who lived in the days of the apostles. And so what we find in this verse is a pattern for our ministry today. God calls us to start right here where we are. Our Jerusalem is Melbourne and Palm Bay and the Space Coast. And our passion as a church is that every man and woman and boy and girl in the Space Coast would hear about the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. It's why God's given us a passion and a goal of uh, planting one church per year starting next year so that more people in the Space Coast would be able to hear about the name of Jesus. But you know, this verse is also why our mission does not stop at the boundary lines of Brevard County. This, this verse is why we also go to some of the major cities of the United States like Boston and Miami and elsewhere. This verse is why we give and go even to the nations, why we send teams from our church literally to the other side of the world. It's because of what Jesus said right here. You shall be my witnesses, not only in Jerusalem, but in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the scope of our ministry. The scope is the whole wide world. Friend, how passionate are you right now 
about that ministry of taking this good news of Jesus to the world. The truth is you will only be as passionate about sharing about Jesus as you are passionate about Jesus. And maybe right now during this time when again God has hit that pause button in every single one of our lives, maybe that's what he's trying to do in our hearts is to, to stir up that flame of passion and zeal for him and for this mission, this ministry that he has given to us. There's one more aspect of the ministry calling God has given to us there in verse eight that we cannot miss. And that's the power behind our ministry who is the Holy Spirit. Again, look at that verse, verse eight. And we read there, uh, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and then you shall be witnesses to me. Uh, You know, when you stop and think about who Jesus was speaking to, these uh, apostles, and you think back to what we know about this group of 11 men from the four Gospels, from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. uh, You know, if you were just standing there looking at them, uh, there there wouldn't be a whole lot there that would just kind of naturally fill you with a lot of confidence that they were going to be able to carry on Jesus's uh, ministry. What we see in the Gospels is, Uh, so often how weak their faith was. Uh, We see that even when Jesus was arrested, that they fled and ran away. Uh, We see Peter denying that he even knows the Lord. After the resurrection, we see the disciples being incredulous, not not wanting to accept what the women were telling them, that Jesus had risen from the dead. We we find Thomas, one of the disciples, saying, I'm not going to believe he has risen from the dead until I can put my hands in his wounds. These are the men that Jesus was entrusting this gospel message to. On their own, they were not ready to take this message to the world. But what Jesus was telling them here is that Uh, You don't have to do this alone, but I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you this promised one, the Holy Spirit. Now, they had already experienced the Holy Spirit in some ways before, but Jesus had told them this is going to be different. And now the Spirit isn't going to just be with you. The Spirit is going to be in you. He's going to indwell you. He's going to empower you to take this message to the world. The, The truth is, church on our own, We're not uh, ready to take this message to the world either. Uh, We don't have what it takes either on our own, but we're also not on our own. Because today, whenever a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, immediately they are filled with the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised here. Uh, We have power. We have the very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead in dwelling you and I as believers in Christ. And so that means we are not alone. We have the Holy Spirit to equip us and to empower us as we take this gospel message everywhere around the world. In verses 9 and 11, the scene gets even more dramatic as Jesus takes his disciples to the Mount of Olives and they watch as Jesus is taken up into heaven by the Father, and a cloud envelops the Lord Jesus. Now, this wasn't just a, a, an ordinary cloud. This was a, a glory cloud. This, this was the glory cloud that we read about in the Old Testament that was with the tabernacle where the presence of the Lord was. 
Now, this is the glory cloud we read about in Matthew 17 when Jesus was transfigured, transformed before the disciples, and they got a peek of the glory of the Lord. And this is what they see. The last image of Jesus that the disciples see is of the heavenly glory of the Lord as he ascends back to the Father. Verse 10 says that when they saw that, the disciples were just staring off into space. It reminds me of what we do here on the Space Coast. Whenever we see a rocket taking off, what do we do? We all go outside and we stare up at it and we, we look at it until it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and, and we keep staring into the sky. And that's what the disciples were doing. They were wondering, what just happened? What did I just see? And then suddenly uh, we find that there were two angels dressed in white that were standing there. And they say these words of verse 11 to the disciples. Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And I agree with those who say that these words from the angels was a kind of mild rebuke of the disciples. I think there were probably a couple of things they were saying to the disciples. First, they were saying, why do you keep staring uh, off into the sky. Uh, this same Jesus that you saw go, uh, he's going to come back one day. He's going to return, and he's going to return in the very same way. What that means is he's going to return bodily to the, to the earth. He, he's going to return in a very visible way, a very glorious way. He's going to come back as judge and king, just as he told us. And so, friend, I want to ask you, are you ready for that day to come? Are you ready for the Lord to return. Have you ever come to that place where you've surrendered your heart and your life to Jesus and trusted him as your savior? If you're at that place where you say, you know what, I'm ready to make that step of faith, to accept Christ into my life, to accept what he did on the cross when he died to pay for my sins. Or maybe you're at a place where you say, I just want to start a dialogue. I want to start a conversation about what that means, what it means to really be a follower of Christ. If that's you, if you would just send us a short note to this address, believe at fbcmail.org. We would love to hear from you. I'd love to reach out to you and just to share with you the eternal difference that Jesus can make in your life, the difference that he has made in my life because of his love and because of his grace. You know, another thing I think the angels were saying to the disciples in verse 11, the implication of those words, that they were saying, why do you uh, stare off into space like that? Uh, you need to get busy. You need to be doing what Jesus has already told you to do. And church, so do we. Because I know we're living 2,000 years later. I know that we're living in a, in a crazy time right now in our world. But, but here is the truth that I want us to see today. Neither the passing of the centuries nor the coming of the coronavirus has changed God's plan for the good news to spread. God's plan is still the church. God's plan is still for you and me who have been saved by his grace to be his witnesses. And right now, God has actually given us in the midst of this pandemic a unique, I believe, a unique opportunity to share about the hope that we have. And I was talking with a good friend the other day about this. You know, many of us have been praying, been asking the Lord uh, for some time for, for more people to be saved, even for more people just to be open to hearing about the Lord. And I believe the Lord is answering those prayers. 
Now, now listen, I, I didn't think that he was going to answer those prayers for more people to hear about Jesus by making it so that we couldn't even have church services to share about Jesus. I didn't know that's how he was going to do it. And, and yet God is so amazing. He's able to work in mysterious ways. He's able to take this difficult situation going on right now with this virus, and he's able to work even in the midst of that for his glory and for our good, and so that others could come to faith in him. It's amazing to see that. You know, this week I was seeing some statistics about that, that, you know, before this virus began, only about 7 to 10% of churches in the United States were growing. What that means is about 90% of churches in the United States were either plateaued or declining. But now one month into this coronavirus pandemic, the statistics are coming in and saying that now 50% of churches in the country are growing. 50% of the churches are reporting a higher attendance at their online services than they had before the virus began. You know, even here at our church, it's hard to know with certainty uh, how many folks are represented in every household that is viewing. But, but we believe even conservatively that last weekend we had more people uh, who were a part of our Easter services than we have ever had before. And that happened on an Easter when we weren't even able to have Easter services here at the church. Now, why, why do I tell you that? Because I want you to know that God is doing something, that God is working right now in the hearts of people. I believe he wants to speak to our hearts about our priorities, about our commitment to him, about our passion for him. But also during these days, Church, he wants to speak through us to a lost world that needs to know him. Because again, as the book of Acts shows us, he has no other plan to reach this world than the one he gave in Acts 1 and verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you and we praise you that you are such an amazing God, that you're able to work even in situations and in times like these that we never saw coming, but Lord, you did. We thank you for how you're even using these days to speak to our hearts. Father, as you have hit pause on so many activities in our life that can distract us from you if we're not careful. You've given us this space to be able to draw near to you. Father, we pray that we would draw near to you as a people in these days. Father, help us to hear what you want us to in these days. Father, we pray as well for our family members, for our friends, for our neighbors who don't know you. Lord, you've called us to be a witness to tell the good news here and everywhere. God, would you give us boldness? Would you help us to be faithful witnesses during these days of this pandemic? Father, would you glorify your name? We pray that many people in these days would come to know you as Savior and Lord, and may they find life and hope and peace in knowing you. And we ask it in Jesus' name.
Amen.